As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com in 2012. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. It's a great pleasure today for OneOuter.com to speak with uh, Eric Haber, a.k.a. Sheets. Um, online legend, has various live results and also manages to mix in uh, the sort of position as a head fund manager. How are you today, Eric? I'm doing well. Thanks, Barry. It's good. It's good. So um, just just sort of start on that. Um, just now, you know, obviously with Poker X Factor, you're involved in that uh, with uh, Johnny Bax and have been for you know a number of years now. How do you sort of uh, manage your time with all this Poker X Factor Obviously, you still like to play poker and also a hedge fund, you know, in the current financial climate. Well, un- unfortunately, uh, it's become easier to manage my time, seeing as I've been unable to play online <laughs> since uh, <laughs> since April. Um, so, uh, yeah, as as it is with, with most of life, um, time management and managing all your passions and all of your money-making things and your family is always a challenge. Um, but... Yeah, it's just something that you do. You know, it's uh, I, I've managed my hedge fund. I continue to, and I have since 2002. And you know, as I've been unable to play too much online, I have been able to focus a little more time on Poker X Factor, um, and all of that, trying to maintain my most important position in life as a as a husband and a father, and uh, you know, coaching my son's basketball teams and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So how are you finding that without, you know, obviously Black Friday happened in America and um, anybody listening to this obviously is aware of what what that means. Um, How much are you missing the sort of, even the option, even if you weren't putting in maybe a huge volume, just that sort of option of having having the right to go and play when you want online poker? Well, it's it's funny, Barry, you know, you ask backs and and, and Cliff has, Cliff, Cliff is for whatever reason, is a little different than I am with, with this, with that question. I mean, I, to me, it's a complete hole in my, in my, in my heart that was taken out. Um, I mean, I just, I just love playing. Uh, not only do I love playing, but the whole idea of being able to just, to just get up in, you know, whatever you're wearing, just lounge, go to in front of the computer, fire up, really as many games as you want you can pick from as many games as you want mm-hmm. stop pretty much whenever you want and and you know not have to deal with all the vagaries of you know going down to a place and god knows what could happen on the way and and, and on the way back the yeah whole concept of of playing online and it was just so amazing and uh I just love doing it, and I, I you know, I, I find it really, really annoying, to say the least. I mean, I still play, you know, I do play on some of the other, you know, smaller sites from time to time, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's obviously not the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously as well, with something that just, you know, the Sunday just passed there, Poker Stars had the largest ever, you know, Sunday million, and for American guys, you know, that have been there since the start of online poker, like yourselves, to miss out on something like that, you know, in, in terms of playing it, um, the tenth anniversary, I think it generated something stupid like twelve point four million or twelve point five million in prize money. Crazy. I mean, it just shows you, you know, the still the demand, you know, for poker worldwide, and this 
for want of a better word, sort of technicalities in the states that are um, stopping. You know, obviously the full tilt situation is a different kettle of fish with you know what went on there. But in terms of just the right for Americans to play online, you know, easily, it's just it is it must really hurt when you see things like Sunday Pass there, how big that was on Poker Stars. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that I do sometimes, well, actually every Tuesday and Wednesday for for Poker X Factors, I run a live a live chat. Mm-hmm. Where I talk about stuff, I have people share my screens and uh, share my screen with me, and I usually do, you know, play some tournaments on cake and lock poker, and and I also pull up some other people's tables just, you know, for something to do. And now more than ever, you know, I'll I'll almost like joke about them. Okay, I'm in the uh, ten dollar cake tournament. You know, I got to make sure to take this down or whatever. And some of my, you know, the European and Australian or whatever subscribers say, oh, I'm in the hundred rebuy on stars. I'm in the one sixty two, and I'll pull their screens up, and I'm like, you know what? I hate you. I hate all yeah. of you. <laughs> and I you know, obviously say it endearingly, but it's a, uh, yeah, it is tough. It is tough. Um, to uh, to 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 know that there's all this playing out there, and as you said, poker is still huge, and you know it's it's obviously continuing to grow and grow abroad. But even in the United States, if you go to the lo- the live tournaments, the live casinos, especially the the smaller buy-in tournaments, they're madhouses. There mm-hmm. there are thousands of people playing some of these tournaments. Poker itself is so huge, and it's really a shame that that the US government doesn't feel like taking all the revenues from it. They'd rather just they'd rather just send it off overseas. It's 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 really boggling it boggles with the mind. It really Yeah, does. it's crazy. I know I've been I've been on shows myself talking about it saying that some states, you know, they have legal state lotteries um and that's legal yet they consider poker gambling and they don't want that. It's just it's mind boggling. That's a totally different podcast. So uh this one's about you rather okay. than the uh, rather than the Senate and whatever Fair else enough. goes on in American politics. Fair so um, if, if, we, if we just start with maybe for, for sort of chronological reasons, obviously you're starting poker. How did you uh, get into poker? Well, I originally um, I played chess and I was always kind of in- interested in games of skill and things like that. And so I became a chess player. I learned really quickly at a very old age, actually, um, how to play. And from chess, I just kind of migrated into backgammon, which was kind of an interesting – it's an interesting migration because where chess is a game of all skill, then I went into backgammon, which, like poker, is a game of part luck, part skill. And mm. I became very good at that very, very quickly, and I became friendly with a lot of people who now are, are top poker players, but back then they were all backgammon players. And back in 2000, you know, 2003, just like everybody else – when the moneymaker thing happened, some of the backgammon players learned how to play, and I knew Phil Lack very, very well back from backgammon, and, and he started to play, and just everybody started to play. And one day, um, my friend uh, Elon Schwartz, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he, he made the yeah. final table a couple of years ago of the mm-hmm. World Series. He was a chess player, you know, excellent chess player, played backgammon, and he was telling me that he was going to these poker tournaments and uh, – at the PlayStation in New York, which is kind of an underground club back then, and he was winning the 50 rebuys and things like that all the time, and that I would be a natural and I should come and play. And I told him I literally didn't know the rules. It's not like I didn't know how to play No Limit. I did not know the rules of No Limit at all. And he says, you don't even understand. I mean, you're, you have such a knack for this kind of thing. You, you would pick it up really quickly. And I said, no, 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 I, I, I'm not going. And he says, well, I'm going, you know, I'm going anyway. And I, I said, you're really going? All right, I'll come and watch. And he's like, oh, forget that. Don't come and watch. Come on. What's the big deal? I'm like, come on. I don't want to play. I don't know how. He says, I'll teach you. 
And he, then he said something where you look back on, po- you know, knowing what you know now about poker. It's kind of funny. He said to me, Eric, for $50, you get 300 in chips. To which I said, oh, my God, how can I, how can I pass that up? Like, what is this, a like, beginner's discount or something? You know, for $50, you get 300 in chips. I'm in, right? Yeah. So, so he went there, and, and he taught, literally taught me the rules on the way over. And I got and I sit down and I kind of just kind of figure it out along the way, you know, what to do. And, and, and then after the rebuy period, um, Elon came up to me, says, how many chips do you have? I showed him and he says, uh, oh, so you got to rebuy. Otherwise you're not going to be able to play anything other than pocket pairs. To me, I didn't know what even he meant by the term pocket pair. I, what, it's funny, looking back, I think I thought that a pocket pair was a small pair because it was a pair you could put in your pocket, you know? <laughs> right. so, so that's what I thought. And I said, no, no, I'll be okay. The reality was, was that I only brought $55 because mm-hmm. that's what he told me the buy-in was. And I, I was kind of uh, embarrassed to ask him to borrow $50. So, so I said, <laughs> no, no, I'm good. So I kept playing, kept playing, kept figuring it out. And then after like three or four hours – the tournament director stops and he says, okay, uh, let's get organized. I'm like, why? Is it over? And he says, no, you're at the final table. I'm like, I am? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, great. So basically the, the nine people at the final table, as they did every week, they made a deal and they chopped according to chip stacks. And I cashed for like $492. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it's, as it said, that was the beginning, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then I, went on exactly the way I learned anything else. I just dedicated myself to learn and I I learned from you know, I learned from the bottom up and uh, yeah, and there you go. <laughs> so, so for the so sake of a sort of timeline, how, how many years ago was that then that you played that sort of tournament? Uh, in 2003. 2003, so relatively short space of time, you know, compared yeah. with a lot of other guys that, you know, played yeah. it way back when and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so what sort of made you, was it just natural progression to online or did you sort of, were you from a finance background still at this point? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, always, I was, I've been in finance since 1998 mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I recognized right from the beginning that, that poker was a game, again, a combination of skill and luck, but the skills involved were very quantitative. And I also figured out pretty quickly that the, you know, the legends that you hear about the, the guys who can play poker well because they could, you know, look into somebody's eyes and know what they have yeah. seemed to me to be just a lot more legend than reality. And I felt as though that if I can kind of, you know, get behind the math of this game, that I could be pretty good pretty quick. Um, and that's what I just decided to do. I, I felt as though my, math, my, 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 my statistics, not background, but my statistics skill and my math skills from finance and just from life um, and plus my discipline would be able to translate pretty well. And it was, you know, I was, you know, doing doing well in back end, but it was time for a new challenge. So like anybody else, first, not like anybody else, first book I bought was the Phil Hellmuth book the um uh, whatever playing poker like the pros mm-hmm. and if you want to go back i actually i called him on the phone <laughs> i got his <laughs> phone number somehow and i called him to say hey listen you know you want to uh you want to take on a student you want to teach me how to play and back then this was before poker really really blew up in other words like moneymaker just had won his thing but it's all these big endorsements hadn't come through so it was one of those things where Helmuth was actually yeah sure i got time i could do it but we just can never agree on what to do about it because we both were like really busy and it just never happened. And then I just decided I was going to just, I was going to just read up everything that I could. 
And as far as live versus online, I always just started with online because mm-hmm. it was just so easy. Who needs to drive two and a half hours to play one game when you could go online and play eight? It just didn't yeah. make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have that sort of live background first, it, it takes them a while to realize that. I mean, I've only been playing poker four years myself, and I started live, like local tournaments like yourself. Um, and then once I found online and sort of started seeing it, you know, with Table Ninja and things like being able to play so many tables, yeah. it just is a complete, like the penny drop sort of thing. But yeah. like you say, you can drive four or five hours down to some tournament, bust out the first day and it's gone and you can load up stars and play, you know, 10 games at once sort of thing. How about, how about flying 3000 miles to, to, <laughs> yeah. to play the 10 K at Mandalay Bay and, and lasting one orbit. I mean, I mean, who needs that aggravation? You know, there, yeah. there was a certain, there was a certain kind of cool thing about going up into the occasional live tournament, you know, to try to win a lot of money and all that stuff and to get on TV and all that stuff. But yeah. the reality is that online is why I played, and online is is where is where anybody really can learn how to play. I mean, people people that don't know anything about poker, they ask me about, oh, do you know Doyle Brunson and and Phil Helming, all these guys? To which I respond, you know, it's interesting, but the guys I know that play online have played about probably five hundred times more hands than these guys have played lifetime, maybe in their first year of playing poker. And yeah. It's just the ability to do that 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 sharpens the learning curve of the average kid who's willing to put in the time to learn how to play. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you're playing online um, at, at this time, um, what was your sort of approach? You know, obviously you're from finance and stuff. I'm assuming you were uh, doing relatively well. What did you sort of take with bankroll management? Did you jump in and start playing? Sort of medium or the higher stakes tournaments, or I did. I, I just I just started with. And remember, back then the biggest tournaments weren't that big. I mean, as far as I started with this with the sit and goes and the occasional multi, mm-hmm. um, and the, and the biggest sit and go there was was a two hundred on party, and not only that, but back then you could only or you're only allowed to play four four at a time. That was right. the, that was what it was, and I learned. My, how to play No Limit Hold'em by playing sit and goes, and it's funny. I'll give I'll give uh, Sklansky a little bit of credit. Sklansky, a- along with with Daryl Gigabet Dickin, who I knew pretty well. Um, you know, I read Sklansky's tournament um, tournament for advanced players book, and he talked in the back of the book about a an all in or fold system that he taught this girl who never learned how to play, mm-hmm. just so that she can get by in the World Series of Poker main event, and just the idea of of being able to push fold in a way that made it impossible for anybody to exploit. It was very, very interesting to me. So what I did was I took that kind of Sklansky system, I kind of tweaked it to on my own, and essentially four-tabled party poker sit-and-goes for about three months doing nothing but pushing or folding. <laughs> and I made money. You know, remember, yeah. this, this is before – Sit and go power tools, right? This is mm-hmm. before anybody. I think even might have been before the UCLA guys even published the paper on ICM. This is when nobody even knew how to spell ICM, is the way I say it. You know, yeah. so, so back then, you know, if you could learn how to push folds and put pressure on people, nobody really knew how to play back at you. And I, I feel as though that particular skill is one that everybody 
should have to master before they go on to do anything. So I mm-hmm. never really got involved in cash games at all when I started. It was always, I started with sit and goes and then went to multis when I had more time. You know, because mm-hmm. sit and goes, you know, you could pull, you bang out a bunch from within a couple hours or whatever. But like, and then I started to play more multis. And once you learn how to play multis, you have to learn to play a little more post flop and things like that. But you know, the the reality is, is that is that if you can start, like, if I could teach someone from the beginning, from the end back, like, if I could, if I were going to teach someone from scratch how to play, mm-hmm. I would teach them start off with heads up hyper turbos. You know, and mm-hmm. learn how to push fold when there's only one guy. And then once they figure that out, I could show them how to push fold when there are six guys. Then I would teach them how to push fold when there are nine guys. And then mm-hmm. just go go deeper and deeper stack, deeper stack, deeper stack. Because if you can't figure out how to close somebody and to play when the stacks are big, then all your great post flop skills in the beginning just really don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you know play the the 180s, you know, the turbos on stars and things like that. And there are some regs that sort of still take that approach, push, fold, push, fold, and it's still profitable for them because, you know, those games, there's still there's still money in those games. And um, the, the important thing that I think you touched on there is the fact that one, once you've got that sort of down, I mean, so much of tournaments and MTTs can start coming down to that anyway, the 15 big blinds and the, the 20 big blinds and the resteals. So... Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys say that. And, you know, again, going back to, you know, your site Poker X Factor, um, a lot of good tools and videos and that. You know, I've, I mean, I'm a member now myself and um, I've had a look and I'm really sort of trying to get that down because when I first started playing, like you say, it's all preconceptions and stereotypes. You think you've got to learn how to this, you know, check raise bluff the river and, you know, things like that. Whereas a lot of it in terms of results and guys that are winning players is they're, they've just got the mass down so so well that they can, you know, get a decent ROI from that alone. Well, and here's the reality, okay? Now, if you, if you looked on the site, one of the things that, I mean, I spent a lot of time on, which is kind of, I think, I think my signature to the site really, is is I developed these 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 tools that let you actually figure out when you should be reshoving versus when you should be open shoving, and when mm-hmm. you you know when you should be calling and things like that. And I really was hesitant of putting that. That, those spreadsheets on there and and it's not for the reasons you would think it's not because oh i don't want people to steal my ideas not i want to give my stuff away because when i when we launched pxf i made the decision that i wasn't going to hold anything back it wasn't anything like that but what i did find is that i mean it took me so much time to do all that work and that grunt work with the math to 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 see what types of hands you need to reshove given certain stacks and certain tendencies of players I almost feel and felt and still feel that I was almost shortchanging the, the, the people of the benefit of doing the work yourself. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of like teach a man to, to fish, to, you know, give a guy a fish he eats for a day, teach a man a fish he eats for his lifetime, you know? Yeah. So I, I struggled for a long time of whether I would even put all that stuff on there, but I decided to do it anyway with the caveat that I really think that people should work with the tools and come up with their own, you know, ranges and their own things of what they're supposed to do. Because yeah. you'd be surprised when you actually run these things on your own and, and see how wide you can shove sometimes. It gives you that much more 
ability and confidence to do it actually over the board as opposed to, well, I know that she said that at 25 big blinds, an opener opens from the cutoff, you can shove six, seven suited, but I don't know. You know, yeah. you would know if you actually went to the trouble of running it yourself and seeing how much of a shove it really is. Mm-hmm. So you're right that, you know, you can get all that stuff down, but, you know, you really shouldn't just rely on other people set it, doing the work for you. I mean, like anything else, it is a lot, you know, it is a lot of work, but, you know, hopefully we provide the tools that let you do a lot of work yourself. Yeah. And the flip side to, to that as well, and what you say, um, just for an example of myself, I was playing these 180 turbos and there were some calls I was making uh, when guys were shoving into me, like with King Queen. And I started playing about with uh, poker stove, you know, myself mm-hmm. and looking at it. And it was just like, I actually shocked myself, you know, going through holding manager. Some of the calls I made that I thought were, you know, they were pretty standard when I looked at it. They were just, they were folds, you know, yeah. a lot of them. And I was like, you know, wow. And if I'd just been following some certain sheet, because as you say, there's still that part of poker, I suppose, that you still have to play the player to an extent. Once you've built up a lot of hands, you know, and hold them manager, there, there are some guys that that range is completely different against, you know, a reg that you've got like three, 4,000 hands on or whatever. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I mean, one of the things I stress when we talk about the charts and things like that is that the charts and anything like that is just as a starting point. You know, mm-hmm. like if you know when you could push fold optimally, that's great. But if you can also do better, in other words, if you know enough about the players where you can improve, on, you know what I mean? If you know yeah. enough about the players where you could deviate appropriately from optimal play, then that's even better than that. But, yeah. I, you know, the chart's a good place to start. But, yeah, if you have really good data um, yeah. and know and, – and, and I stress this – and know how to interpret it and know how to use it, mm-hmm. coupled with this good starting point of, of game theory optimal you know, d- discussions, I mean, then you're really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. The the thing that sort of got hammered home to me by myself and I, I studied economics and certain things that I managed to pick from statistics is that the charts are sort of like a vacuum, aren't they? That's yep. if you don't know anybody on a random table. But once yep. you build up hands, yep. certain things, you know, they sort of they sort of deviate. Although I will um, tell, although I will tell you this before before I let you get away with that with yeah. that comment, I had I had this discussion with someone the other day, and you have to be. I don't know. My opinion is you have to be very careful about deviating too much from your standard lines based on your reads. See, I, I guess we as human beings, we like to um, we like to justify all the work that we do. So mm-hmm. when you develop these hands and these reads on people, I think it's only natural to give a little more credit to your read than you should. Um, just because of, hey, you know, you made a note on this guy, it's got to be correct. And because you made on a note, note on a guy, you have to act on it. And I feel as though some people, you run the risk of growing too uh, reliant on their reads and deviating too much from their standards. Like if you're in the big blind and you feel as and, – and according to optimal play, you can call with king-queen at the, you know, at the borderline. And then mm-hmm. you know – then you have a note on a guy that says, boy, this guy really shoves light. Then you say, wow, maybe I'll call with king-eight or something like that you know, yeah. to, to justify your note that he was really, really loose. But, but usually – See, when you gamble like that, it's you really don't want to get carried away with that yeah. type of thing. You know, boy, against against this guy, 
I'm never calling from the big blind with six, seven offsuit. But this guy's so aggressive. I'm going to try. Yeah, they're usually not that aggressive as you think. Yeah. And they're usually yeah. not as passive as you think. And also, I suppose the old thing, especially like in MTTs, it's probably, you know, there, there are better spots anyway. It's too, too much of a high variance approach to, you know, That's snap true. someone with whatever, even though it is sort of plus EV. And there's probably like other better spots, but no, it's certainly something I've sort of started looking into, especially with again Poker X Factor, trying to get the maths down and trying to really work on that part of my game because I definitely sort of um, see see the benefits, and I've actually seen the benefits in a lot of my results and stuff as well. Um, so you know, you mentioned your friend Johnny Bax, and you guys started Poker X Factor and stuff. Uh, how much of that sort of came? Did that happen before? I mean, you guys are notorious, you know stakers uh, of, of many players throughout the years did poker x factor sort of happen before that or was that a sort of adjunct like follow-on you know what i'm trying to think of what happened first um pretty much at the same time i think i mean one had nothing to do with the other um mm-hmm. i think just from a timing perspective might have happened at the same time just by accident but um the way the poker x factor thing happened i mean i don't know if you're aware of this but back in the back before i even got into finance I had a, uh, I was a, uh, I taught the bar exam for a living uh, for quite a long, not quite a long time, but as as good as people think I am at poker and as good as people think I am at backgammon, as good as people think I am at all these other things, um, there was nobody better than I was at teaching the bar exam. And I traveled all over the country doing that. And I always had an ability to make difficult things seem easy. You know, there were people who knew more about the law than I did, but there was nobody in the world, Barry, who could teach another person how to pass that freaking test than I than I was. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about poker, I thought that was a really, really good idea. You know, there was actually, you know, there was a, uh, there was a, another training site out that I said, you know, I could do a better job than that. And mm-hmm. Scott Pendergrass, the guy who was um, who, who who founded PXF. He was talking with Bax about, you know, about, about doing about doing a training site, and Bax said, "Well, screw that. I'm not doing it without Sheets." And mm-hmm. you know, Sheets because Sheets is the teacher. I mean, absolutely. You know, back then, Bax was happened to be ranked number one in the world on pocket fives, so it was good to have the number one guy in pocket fives behind the site. And it was yeah. also, you know, the, the fact that they, you know, everybody knew that I was a pretty good teacher of this stuff. Um, to, to do it. So we talked about it and Bax was really, really hesitant. You know, Bax like, you know, why are we going to give our secrets away? Why whatever? And I'm like, you know what? That's very short sighted. And, and number one, you're, we're going to probably make a lot of money from doing it. And number two, I mean, so what? You know, you'll probably get better from teaching other people how to do it also. And I, I found that that is a mm-hmm. real truth. I mean, the more videos I did, the more oh, charts I had to create, the more I had to simplify things, the better I got at understanding it. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was a tough decision for us all to make, but we did it and um, and uh, we're happy about it. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a think tank, isn't it? Essentially of lots of guys that are all together. I mean, some of your instructors now, you know, AJK, who's here, you know, Alex Kambaris, uh, Ryan Welsh, all these sort of guys, uh, all great players. And, if they're all putting on different content, I mean, I've watched a few of the videos and stuff, and some of them are different yep. from the other guys, and 
So it's just you're getting more thought processes, isn't it? Other well, you know what? As they say, they, they say, and I don't know if they say that where you're from, but there, there are plenty of ways to skin a cat, you know? And, yeah, and, they do. <laughs> and there, there, there are pl- plenty of ways to win, po- win at poker. And, you know, we like to give different, different viewpoints, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I actually like to think that there's kind of a PXF-ish type of, of model to, 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 how to, how to how to play. You know, we mm-hmm. teach a very, you know, on the one hand, a very tight, aggressive model. But on the other hand, we, we, we teach on, on where to pick spots and how to get aggressive and when to get aggressive and how to capitalize off of tight images and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but, so all of our instructors are very well versed in, 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 in how to play solid. But, you know, we have instructors that bring other things to the table. You know, we have, we just, uh, we just got James Carroll, aka Kroll, who was, who was a total psycho. You know, mm-hmm. and he does things that I couldn't even imagine doing at the table. And mm-hmm. like you said, Ryan Welch is a very solid, good player. AJK, who might be the best tight, aggressive player ever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's very, very, I don't want to say predictable, but he's very standard. But just when you think he's standard, he's going to play back at you with something light when you have no idea that he's doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. And more than the idea that these guys are good players – as I mentioned before, while there are people who are better than me at teaching the bar, there was nobody better than me at teaching it. When when somebody comes to me with with the idea that oh I want to do Poker X Factor videos or where Mark and Scott say hey you know I want this guy to do the video, I'm not really interested in their results at the poker table, okay? Because mm-hmm. I can find you people who are tremendous poker players with incredible results, but if I try to get them to teach anybody anything, it would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so, so more more so than than finding someone that won seven Sunday millions or whatever, <laughs> I, I'd rather find somebody who can communicate and yeah. could teach someone who maybe doesn't know how to five bet shove six seven offsuit. You know what I mean? To, to yeah. teach them the the ideas behind it. You know, because hey, it's I guess it's good for your ego to come on there and show your hand histories. Hey, look what I did here. Look what I did here. I four bet shoved him here. I got a good read on him here. But that. You know that well. That's good for the ego. That really isn't going to help the 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 person watching the video unless you tell them how to figure that kind of stuff out for themselves. You know. Yeah. Because if you just go out in a field and start trying that, I mean, you're going to go bust though pretty soon. I mean, if I if I if I have uh, you know Kobe Bryant try to teach me how to play basketball, he said, "Well, when the guy's guarding you, just do this: do a spin move, look the other <laughs> way, and do a reverse dunk over him. What's the big deal? You know? I'd be yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. What's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. It's now time for the sponsor strategy segment brought to you by PokerXFactor.com. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Welch with PokerXFactor.com. Do you ever find yourself in a hand where you're completely lost and have no idea why the heck you were in the hand in the first place? This rare predicament usually happens after you combine a mistake of playing your weak marginal hand preflop coupled with the fact that you were out of position as well. This is all too familiar with many average poker players who just don't understand that every hand you have in the big blind doesn't give you pot odds to call with preflop. So many mistakes or tough decisions could be avoided by playing smart, tight, aggressive poker. Instead, people fall into a fallacy of thinking that being in the big blind gives you the magic odds with just about any two cards. So do yourself a favor and start folding all those 7-4s and jack-7s and start playing more hands in position rather than out of position. And if you must play those hands, Please, do it in position. Again, this has been Ryan Welch for PokerXFactor.com. Yeah, so we, men- we mentioned the staking. Um, how-, how much of that was a sort of decision from you? You know, again, going back to your sort of... There's so many crossovers between finance and poker, yeah. and I'll touch on that um, a little bit later, but 
how much of that was a decision for you and, and you know Johnny Bax to sort of say right um this staking and poker's this you know you can play so many tables let's start staking players as a how much of it was purely a money making enterprise and how much of it again was a little bit like poker x factor in terms of let's see what we can share with these guys learn bounce ideas off each other and stuff well it start it started well again let's go back to the whole concept the concept of investing in stocks all right in poker in whatever is to find value and to put money in to get a good return you know whether that be investing in microsoft or investing in you know dutch boyd in the world series you know what i mean it doesn't it doesn't really make a difference other than you know how that's perceived in society right so so it just started with with the i with uh, me with me backing Brett Youngblood Gank in some tournament in Tunica, and you know I saw all these guys, you know the part of the crew, him and Dutch and Scott Fishman, and I'm like mm-hmm. you know these guys probably are onto something. They're young kids. I bet you that these kids are better than all these old guys I see on TV, but they just you know haven't been given a shot. So back mm-hmm. then, I back then I had I had means where I could you know put put them in like all these tournaments. So I said, yeah, you know what? I'll put you in a couple of tournaments, see how you do. And then I got an you know an investor to help me for a little while to put them in some stuff. And then when Bax came, you know, th- then Bax said, hey, you know, you you know, you want me to come in on this with you? Then it became much more of of you know of of I guess call it a business, call it what it is. Much more of much less of a I want to give these kids a shot to let's see if we can make some money off it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, Bax is a very good businessman. He's he's you know he's very, very sharp at that kind of thing. I'm less not really a good businessman. I just kinda can see talent, you know what I mean? Like like yeah. what a, like I would say, hey Bax, this guy can win. And he would look at me, he's like, Eric, this guy's gonna steal from us. And I'm like, okay, forget <laughs> it. You know, so that's why he's you know, that's why he's Bax, you know? Yeah. Um and uh and then slowly but surely it just kinda just, you know, as more people wanted to play and as Online became easier and easier and, and bigger and bigger for a while. Then, you know, we just, just, you know, we just decided to dedicate some time to it. And it's, uh, it's a lot of time. Let's put it that way. Yeah. What do you think the, the sort of fascination with, uh, last few years, I've noticed it seems more with a lot of young pros looking to do that. They're all looking to start some sort of stable and start staking players. And there's been a lot of guys that, you know, have obviously done well out of it, but there's a lot of guys that have, you know, lost everything. I let me, know a couple let me, of let me try to explain it to, to, the, to, to you and to everybody who's thinking of doing this, okay? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know quite how to put it any other way other than this, all right? Cliff is, you know, he's like me. So Cliff's a 45-year-old guy turning 46. I'm 44-year-old turning 45. I went to college. I uh, went to law school. I have a finance degree. I mean, I, I, I'm a CFA. I manage a hedge fund. I'm incredibly talented when it comes to, to numbers, statistics, things like that. And mm-hmm. I'm incredibly dedicated and can work 24 hours a day if I have to. Okay. Cliff is 45 years old, comes from a finance background, catered to hedge funds, one of the smartest people in the world. And he is willing to work 24 hours a day if necessary. It mm-hmm. took the two of us, the two of us, Maybe 12 hours a day sometimes to really manage this business correctly, right? So yeah. if, if some kid who's 19, 20 years old, who's trying to play a lot of poker himself, who's
who's trying to, you know, trying to get girls, trying to get drunk, trying to do whatever, thinks that he's just going to go ahead and say, hey, look, backs and sheets can do it. They're old guys. What the hell do they know? I'm going to throw some money at this. It's very, very hard. Yeah. Okay? As is anything that, that that's lucrative, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not just about picking guys who know how to play, you know, it's. It's making sure they, they play what they're supposed to. It's making sure that they continue to learn. It's it's a very, very difficult endeavor, and recently it's become even more difficult now that everybody can play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that the edges are not that big. You know, it's, I mean, how do you tell a guy who's been playing for you for X amount of years that, you know what, I don't think the 100 rebuy is so good for you anymore? You know, it's mm-hmm. a, a tough conversation to have, isn't it? I mean – Yeah, well, especially with poker, I, you – you said earlier, you know, egos seem to be huge in poker, especially when it comes to dropping down stakes or things like that. But a lot of guys can game select. A lot of the top players come out and say, I wouldn't play, you know, a lot of top sit-and-go grinders, maybe grind crazy sit-and-goes, but they wouldn't play the, you know, the, the Sunday 500 or whatever and because they just say, I'm drawn dead in that event or whatever. Sit-and-go players and the real professional sit-and-go players, like the like the Jay Hubbard and all these types of guys, they, they, they are... Um... They're really a different breed because because when you make your living in sit and goes, you're making a living off of a three percent edge, okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to make a living off the three percent edge, any deviation from optimal game selection is going to cost you your livelihood. So you become very very well versed in, in game selecting, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to to people who play high stakes multis. That, you know, they just, you know, they play whatever their bankroll will allow. You know, they, they, there's very few multi, full-time multiplayers who will intentionally skip anything, really, other than like the really, really highest buy-ins. But let me, yeah. let me, let me, let me tell you the, the cycle of, of, and this, this is, and I, I've published this somewhere, but this is the, this is the unfortunate reality to what has gone on in the past four or five years with the, with the learning curve of poker. Okay. You have a guy who's 2004, learned a little bit how to play, and he's beating online. Is he a good player? Uh, we're not sure. All we know is that he's good enough to beat online. And the mm-hmm. difference between good enough and good is a really, really big deal. Okay, Because you can win if you're good enough. Because by definition, if you're good enough, then you're good enough to beat what you're playing. But then what happens is you're play, he's playing these tournaments. And slowly but surely, he stops learning. Okay, He stops trying to get better, whether by choice or maybe he's just unable to get better. Maybe he doesn't have the talent to get better. It doesn't even matter why. The point mm-hmm. is, is that he hasn't gotten better. And meanwhile, the rest of the world is catching up. And the rest of the world is getting better. And then what happens is slowly but surely, he doesn't win as much anymore. And then he doesn't win at all anymore. And what goes through this person's head is first, well... This downswing is just variance, right? I mean, I know, I know multis, and multis, it takes X amount of multis to, to give you an idea of what's going on. So, you know, not a big deal. It's just, it's just variance. And then after a while, they start thinking that it's not even variance. They're just getting really unlucky, okay? And then after that, it, it, it turns into, oh, maybe it's rigged. Maybe it's whatever. Maybe it's it, people are cheating me or whatever, <laughs> and the end game is not pretty in this scenario. Okay, it's very very rare that a person who's played multis for any period of time will come out and admittedly say, "You know what? 
I shouldn't be playing these particular multis anywhere anymore. I need to move down in stakes. Mm -hmm. And if a person can do that while still having the bankroll to play higher, then that person is the real genius. I mean, yeah. some people move down just by force. But, but the person who can actually realize that he doesn't have the same edge that he did – I mean, that, that, and that's very, very difficult. See, that's the thing about, as I talked about earlier, the, you know, when you have a skill and luck combination game, like mm -hmm. I can play someone 10 games of chess, and in 10 games, I will tell you whether I'm drawing dead, whether he's drawing dead, or whether it's a good game, okay? Mm -hmm. In 10 games. Even in backgammon, which is part skill, part luck, I could tell within five games whether I'm drawing dead, he's drawing dead, or it's, uh, or, or it's a close game because at least with backgammon you could see the possible moves and you can tell you know whether he's making good moves or not. But mm -hmm. poker is very very difficult. Yeah. Okay. It's very difficult to really know whether you're being outplayed or whether you're getting unlucky. So that's why poker's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why poker's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it is, I suppose it all comes down to volume, doesn't it? Because you can, the, again, the other side of the coin, as there always is, you could be winning and thinking you're, you've got it sussed and you're, you're doing well. And that's when people sort of maybe sometimes take their foot off the gas and stop studying. Yep. And they could just be, you know, good variants. They're just on a huge upswing and they're getting lucky when they're making some, like, fundamentally bad or wrong plays. I have, um, to, I have to say, since... Uh... I have to say, PX Poker X Factor may very well have saved my poker career, you know, because, because, I mean, if it weren't for Poker X Factor, okay, forcing me, forcing me to continue to, you know, to learn and to get better mm -hmm. for the sake of others, I don't know if I would have stayed a winning player. I just don't know. You know, yeah. it's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, you, you eventually get to the point where, oh boy, I'm playing pretty well. Maybe I don't need to learn anymore, you know? Yeah. And, but thankfully, Poker X Factor was there in, in concept, at least, to keep me pushing. Mm -hmm. And as you say, human nature, always sort of, you're looking for, a lot of people look for other things to blame. And yeah. like you say, oh, it's a downswing or I'll play through it. Or, yeah. And then if they don't do proper money management, as you say, it can sort of end in tears. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure, it's, sure that's happening just now as we speak with it some people. It happens every day. <laughs> yeah. So um, we mentioned, you know, your, your finance world, you, you know, a hedge fund, and um, that's sort of just like a big game of poker, isn't it, really? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's 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 uh, poker at the highest with the highest buy-ins, you know. That's it's, uh... it. That's it. So yeah. I was saying, um, I remember speaking with someone um, before, and I actually spoke with Eric Seidel at the World Series of Europe um, a couple of years ago. And I think he used to be a trader. That, that's what we were talking about. Um, and I was speaking about a book that sort of made me think totally different about poker. And it was, uh, you're probably aware of it, that reminiscence of a stock operator. Yeah. Um, and just the way, like, the mindset, the way they spoke about risk and people like that. And a hedge fund guy, Larry Hype, was always on about um, bet sizing is key and it takes the emotion out of it and stuff. And, you know, I could give you loads of quotes that you'd be familiar with. There seems to be this like you say, this uh, sort of affinity between um, hedge fund, you know, world of finance and poker. And I remember having an argument with the guy. Maybe you can give me your thoughts on it. I argued that poker, in a sense, is actually um, less of a gamble because you can quantify a lot more. There's a lot more, like, sort of, you know, it's easier to quantify if you're uh, aces against such and such. You know, you know the statistics. You know 
the edge, etc. What's happening at that point? Whereas if you've got a credit default swap somewhere else or whatever, it's a lot. There's a lot more outside uh, influences that you have to take into account. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, what what are you going to do when 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 you you do homework on a stock, homework on a company, you 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 go, you meet the CEO, you meet the CFO, you even figure out what part of the CFO is lying and what part is not lying, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you wake up one morning and and guys from the Taliban flew flew planes into the World Trade Center. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um what what do you do when 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 you do all the homework on a stock, like uh, some tech stock, and then later on that day Microsoft, that has nothing to do with what you're talking about, you know, pre-announces bad earnings and drags the entire sector down with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's uh, not to mention the fact that there's just so much information that's just completely hidden, okay, in the stock market. It's, yeah. That is a – I mean, I, I, I think poker is inf- – I mean, infinitely easier. Yeah. Than stock market. <laughs> infinitely. And and if you think about it, the reason why it's the stock market is difficult is because the people that are trying to make the most money are playing it. Also, you know, it's a yeah. it's the highest stakes game. You know, you want to play in the highest stakes game. You uh, I mean, you got you got, you got to bring it. You know what I mean? So it's uh, I I I agree with you completely. I think that I think that a lot that poker is much more obviously poker is easier to quantify the stock mm-hmm. market because I mean you know there there's just so much I don't want to say there's more luck in the stock market than than uh than poker because luck is kind of a weird word but yeah. we, I can certainly agree that there's just as much out of your that's out of your control in the mm-hmm. stock market than there is in poker yeah, like the sort of the term they use is you know the black swans and stuff of this world. Like you mentioned, nine eleven, um, and uh, you know things like that. And this house, although a, a lot of people saw the you know the housing collapse and stuff, and actually made money on that side of the trade, etc. But I just mean in terms of when people are saying they hear uh, poker and they think, oh, gambler. You know, every poker player, especially young guys that play for a living, get that from relatives and friends and stuff. You play poker, oh, you're a gambling degenerate or whatever. Whereas if they were a financial trader on Wall Street, it's considered a, you know, or at least it was, <laughs> it considered a pretty respectable career, you know, and an aspirational well, thing. Well, you know what, it's, it, I'm sure every, every young player has had that same conversation yeah. <laughs> with, the, with, their, with, their, with their parents. And the reality is, is that unless the parents were involved in it before, you're, you're never going to win the, the, the argument. You mm-hmm. never. It's just never mm-hmm. going to happen. And yeah. you could you could put it in terms however you want. You could be logical. You could be quantitative. But you know, social uh, social acceptance is is well too entrenched. You know, you mm-hmm. just can't. It's just never going to happen. You're never yeah. gonna, you're never going to win the argument. All you can do is just do what you like. You know, that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You can't convince so, everybody that it's the right thing to do, but you know, that's it. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting because we mentioned, you know, Alex Camberis, EGK uh, Huzio one uh, online, and in his blog on Poker X Factor, you know, he started the job as a trading assistant or uh, something with trade. I'm sure it was trading assistant. Okay. And it's just a uh, pretty, you know, like the crossovers, like like we speak about. Um, 
a lot of these guys that are traders seem to be suited to poker playing and vice versa. You know, um, what's what your sort of there's experience? A, there's, there? a, uh, there's a uh, trading company in, uh, in Chicago called Susquehanna Trading. It was originally founded, I think, by a guy named Howard Ring, who was a world-class backgammon player, who I used to play with out online, actually. Mm-hmm. And this, this company was one of the first companies to actively seek gamblers, backgammon players, and poker players to be part of their options training program. The idea being that, you know, just give me, you know, you can keep your Harvard degrees if you want. You give me somebody who can manage risk and can, you know, and and knows how to gamble properly. I'll take them in in every day of the week. And um, even still, Susquehanna, I think Howard, Howard Ring, I think passed away, but, but, but even still Susquehanna is known for doing that type of thing. As a matter of fact, someone told me that Susquehanna makes um, poker part of its training curriculum, um, which which I find very interesting. Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of um, stuff like that recently. I, I've, even mainstream, you know, not even obscure online articles, like Forbes, I think, recently did a bit about poker and business and stuff like that. And it, hopefully maybe that's a sign of things that it's starting to sort of come out of this sort of image that it has still, you know, in this day and age of um, a lot of people still think it's smoke-filled rooms and cowboy hats and stuff, you know, right. with ESPN coverage and things like that. I mean, l- like you mentioned earlier, when uh, people talk about poker, you know, they want to think, uh, they want to talk about, oh, staring right. into the soles of the eyes and slow yeah. rolling and stuff like that. I mean, I was on a, a BBC uh, radio show a few weeks ago and they were talking, I thought it was going to be a discussion about how poker's changed and things like that. And they were asking me, like, right, what's the dead man's hand? What's that called? Oh, you know, some God. researcher. It was like, okay, what's, uh, you know, this hand called? And I oh, was like, oh, my gracious. God. <laughs> I said, most professional players now, they're like young guys that, like, work out. They drink mineral water and, you know, they're like, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But there seems to be that. And like you say, um, a lot of young guys find them themselves banging their heads, you know, trying to explain it. But as you say, if someone's not really into that, side of things whether it's gambling poker etc they're never really going to it's going to be difficult to change the sort of man in the streets uh, it is going to be difficult yeah sort of, sort of things like that i think maybe that's a lot to do with it yeah. uh, especially in america a lot of these congressmen you know they just think that poker is that and they don't actually you know what i mean i remember galfon did he not put up the challenge uh saying he would play obama for a million dollars to his one dollar or something for, oh like, really five game yeah he says like to prove that it's a skill game for, for Obama's $1, I think he put up a million dollars. He could play him three times of that. And if he won, he got to keep the million dollars for charity or whatever. But I don't think he got a reply on that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. So um, I've got to ask you a couple of areas, just questions for like sort of information, hints and tips, you know, direct from sheets. And the biggest one is money management, which I seem to speak with every professional player. I've ever interviewed, and they all have sort of varying things. And on Poker X Factor, I think you've actually got in your sheets tools. I think there's a, I think there is a bankroll management bit. It's, isn't not, it? it's not in my tools, that's for sure. But but right. I know someone <laughs> created it. I'm sure. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a bankroll manager somewhere yes. like on the main page. I know. That. Um, what's your sort of take on this? You know, everyone says you know everyone's sort of more aware of bankroll management, but obviously a lot of people still don't practice it now. 
And there are varying things from, you know, you're playing MTTs. I mean, let's talk MTTs because obviously it's different for cash, etc. And, you know, you hear oh, 100 buy-ins is fine as long as you can reload your account. Uh, 200 buy-ins if you're playing for a living. Some guys go, wait, you know, 400 buy-ins. How much of it comes down to your tolerance for risk? And how much of it should be that rule of thumb that you shouldn't do this, you know, at all with this level of money or whatever? Well, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head where when you said it's all about your tolerance for risk. Because even if you, even if you have X amount of buy-ins, I mean, I know guys, I mean, that, that are millionaires that, they could be in a $100 poker tournament and be petrified to call raise on the bubble, you know? Um, it, 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 it's not just how much money you have and how much is in your bankroll. You, you have to be willing to risk it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not just, oh boy, I have a million dollars so I could play hundreds. You've got to be willing to play right at, at, at the levels that you're buying. You can't, it's not only a question of, boy, am I going to be busto if I lose too many of these hundreds? It's not even that. It's, it's, you have to be willing to, to, to play that each individual hundred correctly without fear of what that hundred dollars will do. Not just as a percentage of your bankroll, but just as, as a, as a real, as a real amount. Cause some people, mm -hmm. some people just can't do it. Um, so, so that I think is, is the most important thing. Now, obviously you do have to have, you know, some, some, some rule to, to go by, you know, and, and I think that I, you know what, and I think that the, the numbers you put out there are, seem, seem pretty fair, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I would like to think that if you were a more aggressive player that you'd want to have uh, a, a bigger bankroll to, to withstand the fact that you're going to have more downswings than the uh than the more solid player so mm -hmm. i think you can adjust for that but i, I think that that you're um i think that your 100 200 buys that type of thing that seems to make a lot of sense to me yeah um what about guys that are you know they don't maybe have maybe young guys that are you know at college or whatever and they're, they're playing online obviously you know worldwide wherever um and they're trying to build a role you know a, a decent role from their 500 bucks online or whatever. Um, how important is it for them to not touch that and sort of use, um, I don't know if compound, but sort of, you know, like the, the sort of idea of compound interest, leaving that money to, to let it build. And, yeah, it's and tough. It it's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, yeah. to me, it's amazing how, how beyond their years some of these 18 to 21 year olds are really. I mean, I, I, if you asked me when I was 18, 19 years old to like figure out how many buy-ins I would need to a thing and, and to keep X amount for whatever, when I was 18 to 21, I mean, you got, I mean, if I had, if I had like $200 in my checking account and there was something that was in the store for $200, I would buy it. You know, that, yeah. that is, I, mean, I, I was, I, I'm the last person for an 18 to 21 year old to ask about, I mean, I would have 19 year old kids come to me on AIM and ask me about mutual funds. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and as we got real estate, I'm like, you're 19. You should be going out with fake IDs drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. You shouldn't shouldn't be worried about what mutual funds. But that's what it is. These kids are so mature that yeah. I think maybe they can handle the idea of of of, of segmenting their gambling. You know, their 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 money from their from their living money from their poker money or whatever. Uh, it's yeah. it's I I would find it impossible being that young to do it. But but yeah. but if they're able to, that obviously all the better. Yeah. 
So you think it's important if they can uh, sort of put the, of the instant gratification about if to to let it build to to a, to an amount that they can then start withdrawing rather than you know make a thousand two thousand and take it out and live off it because will they not just keep going round in this sort of like vicious? However, cycle? the thing is, the thing is this is that it's also probably a good idea to get some tangible benefit from what you've been doing. All right. I think that as again we talk about the human nature. I think that if you take some of the money to buy yourself something or to pay off some student loan or to or to I don't know, to pay rent or, or whatever it is you have to do, as I think that actually is a pretty good thing because once you once you just forget the fact that it is real money and you're building a bankroll for bankroll's sake, then what'll end up happening is you're just you're always gonna just be using bankroll, bankroll, bankroll. And you're never going to be realizing that that is actual money that you could use. So yes. I think that you can get carried away with that. I do think that hey, if you you know what, if you win a hundred dollar tournament, you cash for six thousand, and there's something that's a few hundred bucks that you want to buy. I think you go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. you could like say, hey, I want a poker tournament. I got this. You know what I mean? And even the pe- and and you know what? And you never know. You know, maybe one day you give up poker, you give up whatever, you go broke and you can't. I mean, maybe at least, well, you know what? I did buy this watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know what? I did. I had this I had this guy on P, uh, part of my PXF chat last night who was, you know, people were asking me, oh, you, you well, how'd you do on full tilt? It's like full tilt. The one tournament paid for my house. You know what I mean? And that yeah. house is never being given back. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> so if, if that money just went into bankroll, I mean, who knows what could have happened? It could have been trapped on UB. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that takes takes us on nicely to the next thing I was going to ask you about, which is important. You know, you've said don't just see it as numbers on the screen. Obviously, that helps you with your game. This idea of playing it like a computer game, moving up the levels. But it's important to realise it is real money, and yeah. you know you can take it out and improve your life and you know your family and stuff. For a guy like you and, and uh, you know Cliff uh, Johnny Bax, I just think it's amazing. And you know, I'm sure you've had this a lot of times, and that. You, you guys aren't the stereotypical online, you know, players. You are older guys. You got into it older, but you still dominated. And it's just that dedication to sort of like learning. What, what's your advice? Because I know a few older guys. I mean, I, I'm 28, so I'm a dinosaur in poker now as well. You're gonna be. But, you're, you're collecting Social Security soon. Are you kidding? That's yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, but the thing is, is a lot of older guys I know they'd love to do it and do it online and stuff like that, but they don't have. They always say, oh, I don't have the time. You know, I've got a young kid running around the house. They're trying to get the time to play, but it's hard to say, you know, to concentrate when your kid's jumping up on your knee at the computer. And just simple little things like that. What's your advice for these guys to sort of just, would it be to maybe like take it slowly, do what they can and, and still build and enjoy it? Or, um, you know, what, what's your sort of advice on that, like combining the family life? and? Yeah, you have to, as it goes back to the first, the first, sentence that we had in this conversation about time management you know fortunately or unfortunately you know i didn't i don't or didn't need much sleep you know so so i never really had to sacrifice much family life i did a lot after everybody went to sleep um but uh that's the best i can do as far as the older guys i'm not going to tell them to to compromise their family life and to do (laughs) to do whatever but it's it's uh but i think that there is a that you do have some, I don't say advantage or whatever. The fact that you have had the experience in learning over the course of your life, you can be at least organized about how you learn. 
You know, you could join a site, you could read a book, you could, you could, you could, you could watch a video, you could, you could, you, you know, you do have some life experience, which helps your ability to learn a little bit, where sometimes, sometimes kids just still feel as though they're, you know, that they're smarter than everybody. And they, they, they like, ah, this guy doesn't know anything or whatever, I'll figure it out for myself. I think the, the, the older people do have the ability to learn pretty, pretty easily. Um, It's just, again, having the time to do it. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know. That's what it is with all things in life, I guess. Yeah. So um, we're coming up to the end of 2011, uh, 2012. What's what's your sort of plans uh, poker related for that? Do you are you going to try and do, is the World Series something that you try and get out to, like the main event or that? Or I don't. I didn't get to go out this year to the World Series at all. Um, I, I'm going to try, but you know the summer is uh, summer's rough for me. Uh, Actually, the summer, the kids are away at camp, so I spend more time with my wife. My wife doesn't like to go out there, so I probably won't go. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as poker goes, I mean, I'm going to play the, you know, the live tournaments around here, maybe like Atlantic City, the Borgata tournaments, things like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm still going to play them online. Like I'll play my, I'll play my lock and my cake when I want to. And I'll play, um, and I will, um, Still concentrate on PXF, and hopefully we get some traction with PXF and overseas as things are really growing uh, yeah. overseas poker-wise. And thankfully, with people like you to kind of help spread the word about PXF, maybe that that can that can develop a little more. And uh, we'll continue to continue to teach. And with any luck, maybe online does come back in the United States in a real way. It seems it seems as though it's a natural to happen, but you know, politics is rough. Yeah, definitely. I mean. I don't think it's going to happen until the when's the election? Is it next year? The U.S. election? Election every year, but I mean the presidential election next year. But yeah, the presidential one. Yeah, next year, isn't it? So I don't think maybe it'll be 2013. Yeah, whatever um, it is. So That's Adam. Yeah. Again, we we give we have the power to control only what we can control, I suppose. But I will tell I will tell you this. I'm gonna get I'm gonna soapbox it up a little bit. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> I, I never – now, this is my own fault, all right, but I never, ever got involved in the legislative aspects of poker, okay, about the laws and things like that. You know, when people ask me, what do you think of the UIGA? What do you think of this legislation? What do you think of this? I always just said, you know, I don't care. You know, as long as I wake up and, you know, there's registration for a tournament, I'll play, you know. Yeah. Um, when there's no more registration, I won't play. And after the – after the Black Friday, you know, there was the – this is there's this – this uh, association in the United States, the Poker Players Poker Players Alliance, who lobby before Congress, and they, it's their job to to do it. And I actually offered to them; they were going to, you know, to to D.C. to to speak to all these people. And I said, you know, not for nothing, but it might be a good idea to have me down there. You know, I'm a pretty good combination of a poker player and a businessman. I'm yeah. a pretty good example of the of of why. Poker is not supposed to be looked at as just, you know, a gambling degenerate type of thing. And I like to think that I can speak pretty well. Maybe you should, you know, bring me down there. Maybe you should get me involved. And they mm-hmm. just never called me back. You know, wow. it seems it just seems odd. Um, but I, I guess people are doing what they're doing and hopefully it works out. Do you know what I would say about that without knowing anything? Again, speaking about things in a vacuum, organizations like the PPA, and unions and things like that. It just this is a personal point of view. I think once these guys get together and stuff, they sort of start to them themselves become a victim of the power or something, and they they kind of want to do all the talking and the little things themselves, and they don't really want to give that away. So the actual message and the cause 
can be diluted if a few individuals sort of just start, you know, wanting to get sort of hands on and take the reins sort of thing. Because right. surely someone like yourself or, you know, guys like, you know, Barry Green, guys that can talk, you know, articulate individuals that also, as you say, have that legitimacy of business, etc. That's the sort of people you want speaking at these things. And for them not to contact you back, I mean, uh, it's oh, insane. Well. It's insane. I'm glad it's tax-free profits on online poker and poker in Scotland here in the UK. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no tax on gambling winnings here, and it's still considered gambling. So excellent. Yeah, it's excellent. So you can always you're always welcome in Scotland, Eric. <laughs> oh, I felt I have to mention. Uh, there was one thing I was supposed to mention. I forgot what it was. Yeah, if I think that they we have a thing where if anybody wanted to sign up for PXF from your from your group, there's a coupon code or something. Yeah, um, I what I do is I paste that in okay. at the uh, start. But okay, just right. now, since you've mentioned it, if anybody wants to sign up for Poker X Factor, we're doing a special seventy dollars off membership just now, and the code is one outer seventy. That's O N E O U T E R seven zero. But um, I'll put all that in the blog when the interview goes up, and it will also be on at the start of the podcast. Okay, um, great. And I'll tweet it out. And, uh, yep, that's great. Eric, I cannot thank you enough no for uh, the amount of time you've given. And I apologize if, if it's been a little bit all over the place, but that, that's it's Christmas just now. And that's right. <laughs> I've been running about, and it's a little bit stream of consciousness. But Sounds I can't good. thank you enough. 